Let's bow our heads for prayer. Gracious and loving Lord, we gather as your children in this family to worship and to praise you, to lift our prayers before you, and to hear your word. We pray by your spirit that you would help us to live by your word each day. We walk by grace. And as we cling to hope, Lord, we pray this in your name. Amen. I got to tell you, that God has a sense of humor. A year ago, we were celebrating Emory Poston Reader's transfer of membership to heaven. And if you remember one of the words that Emory, how shall we say, struggled with but hung on to and enjoyed was the word hope. Love that hope. Would you take a look at the theme for today? It says, Hope Proclaimed. I map out those themes weeks in advance. And by God's sense of humor, the word hope appears on the very Sunday where he called Emory home a year ago. Coincidence? No. God puts his fingerprints on all things. Now, let me tell you why that Emory struggled a little bit with the word hope, because I think we all do at times. Because we tend to use that word like the world uses it. I hope it doesn't get any hotter today. I hope the Yankees win the World Series. Not me. Emory. I hope I win the lottery. When the world uses the word, it's so much wishful thinking. But when God uses the word, especially in Christ Jesus, the definition changes. The definition changes to one of a present certainty. And so if we look at the text today from Colossians chapter 1, and we look at those places where the word is used, we could read it like this, verse 23. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the present certainty of the gospel that you heard, or later on in the text... 
verse 27. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of his mystery, which is Christ in you, the present certainty of glory. You see, hope in the Lord is a certainty. Hope in the promises of God is a certainty. When we hope in Christ Jesus, we are living in the certainty of God's promises for our lives. And Paul reminds us that that changes us. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. You see, what began with the celebration of his birth and the visit of the shepherds and the magi now finds its completion in the cross where he suffers and dies for the fullness of our sins, those very things that alienate us in mind and cause us to do evil deeds. And he gives us the hope of the resurrection. It changes us. We are now reconciled to Christ. That means made new, renewed, refreshed, reinvigorated, And now God has placed into our hands the stewardship of the gospel. And the stewardship of the gospel, as Paul talks about it, is that whole idea of taking the time to proclaim Jesus Christ in word and in deed. That means to live every day for Christ. It's easy to put on Christ when we gather together for worship. Because we're filled with a, a, a place of family and friends where we can, we can uh, lift each other up and encourage one another and we know we're all like-minded. And so on Sunday mornings as we fight for the donuts, that's afterwards in our fellowship hall, by which you are all welcome to join in that melee. It's organized chaos. We're among family and friends. But to go out into the world and to live Christ in the world is much more challenging. And Paul recognizes that. In fact, Paul, while he's writing these words, is suffering for the gospel. And Paul says it this way. I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh I am filling up in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church. You see, what Paul is saying here is I am living the gospel, I'm suffering for it, and I'm doing it because it benefits the church and the gospel. It benefits the church. Because he's setting an example for fellow believers. And what is that example? It's okay to suffer for the gospel. You don't need to be afraid of suffering 
for the gospel, and neither should you run away from it. And for the sake of his body, that is the church, he's reminding the world that the gospel is something not only worth living, but also worth dying for. Those kinds of thoughts make us a little uneasy. The thought of suffering, we don't like to suffer. We complain when it gets a little too warm or a little too cold. And we sound like Goldilocks in the three bears. We complain when the food's not quite right, forgetting that we should be grateful for the food. We grumble when we don't have that right thing to wear or when our shoes don't match our outfit, forgetting that we need to be grateful that we have shoes in the first place. We are a fickle people. And the thought of suffering bothers us. But even more, thought of death discomforts us. And yet for those who are in Christ Jesus, we need not fear the very things of the world or what Satan can do to us. For it is Christ who has redeemed us and called us his own in the waters of baptism. It is Christ who strengthens us each day by his spirit working through the word. It's Christ who invites us to pray. It's Christ who invites us to sit at his feet and to learn what it is that he has to teach. And what we learn is the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to us, his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you. He's not a God who dwells far away. He's not a God who exists somewhere on a shelf that we can pull down when we need. He's in each and every one of us. And that's why our bodies are called a temple of the Lord, the place where the Lord dwells, Christ in us. And that's not easy to think about either. Because it means that there's this war going on in us between the sinful flesh and the righteousness of Christ. The good that I would do that I find myself not doing and that which I should not do that I find myself doing. It is that struggle between saint and sinner. 
And yet it's there. Christ in you and in me. Choosing by the waters of baptism to make his dwelling with us. To guide us, to move us, to motivate us, to live no longer for the world, but for him. In a present certainty of the glory that we already have. We don't have to wait until death. Because we live life now. And the glory of Jesus Christ dwells in our hearts and in our lives and through our hearts and our lives to the world around us. And so him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. We preach, we proclaim Christ crucified, risen, and coming again. We remind the world that we have a hope for the forgiveness of sins that's not wishy-washy, but certain because he died and rose for us. And Paul reminds us, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. I love that. Because it takes away the excuse, I'm too tired. I don't have enough time. It's his energy that compels us and powerfully works in us to live and proclaim Christ to the world around us. Let me tell you something. You probably already know this. The world sorely needs Christ. The world sorely needs a hope that's based not in the world, not in the political systems of the day, not in the strength of man, but in the love of a Savior who died and rose again. The world needs hope proclaimed. And so my encouragement to you, open your mouths. Start living, start sharing Christ. In his name, amen. And now may the peace of God, which passes all of our human understanding, keep your hearts and minds and the true faith of God in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting. Amen.